Reading from Revelations chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she was where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Then the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those 
who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Megan. Good morning and welcome to church. Happy Chinese New Year. Gong hee fat joy. Today is actually Chinese New Year, so you might keep in your prayers Chinese church here at Half Past One. They have planned a major outreach to the Chinese community and would cherish your prayers that they might uh, spread and people might hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you had a happy Christmas. As we look into the rear vision of life, the rear vision of the year, uh, Christmas 2022 is very rapidly fading, isn't it? But before it's gone, I want to ask a question. What happens now? Now, I, I love Christmas, very important in our lives. Christmas, the Christmas account is wonderful. Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus in a manger, the angels, the shepherds, the new star in the sky, wise men coming from Babylon to, to greet the, the royal baby, mysterious and wonderful things. But in the sweetness of it all, we can easily miss that this is a climactic moment in God's great salvation plan. It is the beginning of a great battle for the hearts and souls and the minds of human beings. Now, the Revelation 12 nativity scene illustrates a battle and it's a conflict that goes on today. In symbolic form, it explains the big picture of what was happening at the birth of Christ and and what that means for us now. Jesus' entry into the world was a challenge to the evil that grips this world. The battle is about to begin. That battle is going to get very messy. There is no room for mere sentiment. There is no room for a thoroughly sanitised view of Christmas. It's much more than that. Now, you can't really understand what's happening here unless you accept that there is a God. I can't go into all the evidences today, but there is a God, a good or powerful spiritual being, and there is Satan, an inferior, evil and less powerful spiritual being, the sworn enemy of God. You cannot really understand the world and life unless you acknowledge there is God and there is Satan. So to begin to break the power, the reigning power of the evil one, God dispatches the Messiah Jesus, into history. Born a baby, born one of us, and yet at the same time also being deity. He has godness. Now in in Jesus, God himself enters our fractured world and begins the task of releasing us from the grip and consequences of sin. Now, in the recently passed Christmas account, we see God's plan being worked out in space and time. When you see it on your Christmas cards, if you can find a Christian Christmas card, you'll find there the manger and the the shepherds and all that sort of stuff. That's the, the earthly working out 
of, of the birth narrative. But in Revelation 12, we see another dimension of God's plan, a dimension that we usually can't see. It's a heavenly dimension. Verse 1 starts, a great sign appears. Where? In the heavens, in heaven. So in understanding the Bible and this world, we have to grasp that there is earth and time, where we are, and there is heaven and eternity, different dimensions, and we cannot possibly begin to understand the interface between earth and heaven. But now and again, by God's grace, we are shown glimpses of heaven, usually in some kind of symbolic form. And here we are looking at an eternity perspective on the birth of Christ, a realistic perspective on what's happening and what the birth of Christ will bring to the earth. What we see here in this little section pretty much embraces all, all history down to the present day, explaining what we see and what we experience. Now, in this vision, we are not seeing gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We are seeing Jesus, God's chosen one, threatened from the moment he arrives on earth and then engulfed in a great cosmic battle, a battle which has come down to us and for which we must daily prepare. Well, our first point is revelation, the, the literary genre. Now, I know Clint covered this a few weeks ago. We'll just quickly go over it again. Revelation is what we call apocalyptic. It comes from the Greek word apokalypto, I reveal. It reveals past, present and future events, but in symbolic form and in a, in a way that was understood by believers. Most of the symbols we find in Revelation they're not mysterious, they come out of the mind of the Old Testament. I have long cherished a dream to make a Christmas card, a realistic Christmas card, using the uh, symbol symbolism of Revelation 12. One of the characters, I think, is the next uh, slide. There he is. Now, I have this vision of making a Christmas card with... Uh, the baby, the manger, the donkeys and all this stuff and him with seven heads looming over the whole thing. I would not expect to sell any Christmas cards with that. But, but this idea of mine was a great idea but Clint tells me his friend over in England's beaten me to it. So there is a, there is, there is a, a classical card with that guy featuring but he's, he beat me to it. Well, I was watching... I haven't watched, uh, not a really big fan of Mr. Bean, but I, I watched, I've watched some of his, um, his uh, series. But there was one called Mr. Bean's Christmas. And in this one, Mr. Bean goes shopping in some kind of a, uh, uh, an apartment store. And there is the, a nativity scene set up in the apartment store. And when no one's kind of watching, he, he grabs a plastic Tyrannosaurus Rex off the uh, shelf and puts it down amongst the nativity scene bouncing around <laughs> And everybody's laughing, you know, the, you know, the canned laughter. I'm thinking, wait, that's Revelation 12. He's, he's got it right. I doubt that he meant to, but he, he hit on the mark. Well, having a, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex amongst that lovely little nativity scene, it's ghastly. Your kids wouldn't want to see it, but it is realistic. The battle has begun. Well, secondly, the, the historic context, point two. The Apostle John writes from the island of Patmos, I think there's a map there again. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, but 
Patmos are out there in the Aegean Sea. It's a part of Greece, not so very far away from, from Turkey. Uh, that's where John is writing from around about AD 100. It's a time of sporadic but vicious persecution of the church by the Roman Empire. Christians are being killed. Peter and Paul have recently been killed. John is the last remaining apostle. John has been exiled for his faith onto that island where they think, well, he can't do any harm over there. So I imagine he kept preaching the gospel. But that's where they sent him. Now, the Romans could not care what gods you worshipped or how many you worshipped as long as you also worshipped the emperor. Because to them, the emperor was a god. And your sort of pledge of allegiance to the emperor was that you would worship him. Now, the Christians said, no, we will not worship your emperor. We will be good, tax-paying, peaceful, hard-working members of the Roman Empire, but we cannot worship the emperor. We can worship only Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Romans said, treason, and put many to death. So Revelation is written to encourage persecuted Christians back then in the first century and also today. And while Christmas is very nice, I love it, but it is the beginning and not the end. There is much to come in between the birth of Christ and the end of the age. There will be warfare between Christ and the dragon. That's the the heavenly perspective, warfare between Christ and the dragon. And on earth, that vision, that warfare will play out as warfare between the dragon's earthly agents and the followers of Jesus. Revelation 12 explains to Christians why they're being persecuted and assures us that God is in control. And it encourages us to trust God no matter what because Christ will triumph in the end. In John 15, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And we're Jesus' disciples. Well, point three, identifying the players in this vision. The woman who is pregnant and about to give birth. Now, it's very tempting to jump in and say, oh, that's Mary, of course. It could be. But bear in mind again, we are dealing with a heavenly vision. This woman, I think, represents... God-fearing, faithful Israel. She's clothed with the sun. She has the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her her head. Very similar, by the way, to the dream that Joseph had. Joseph, the coat of many colours chap, had a similar dream uh, hundreds of years before. Those 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. It seems to be that she represents Israel. But even if the woman is a vision of Israel... Surely everything good about Israel is epitomised in Mary, a young woman that God chose to be the genetic and the familial mother of Jesus, a faithful daughter of King David, and a descendant, an obedient worshipper of God. Not a perfect person, but carefully chosen for her qualities, carefully chosen for her faithfulness. And then there's the, the dragon. Enormous red dragon appears. Think of a T-Rex with, with seven heads. Nasty-looking chap. Now, verse 9 and Revelation 2, uh, 22 tell us who he is. The dragon, that ancient serpent. Think back to the Garden of Eden and the serpent, the deceiver. 
who is the devil or Satan. We know just who he is. And the seven crowned heads, the sevens are sort of a figure of completeness, represents world dominion. Verse 9 says he leads the whole world astray. There is nowhere where he is not at work. And the ten horns, you know how wild beasts use horns to both fight, attack and defend? Well, those ten horns symbolise his power. He is an evil being who is to be taken seriously. The stars, well, dragon, the dragon or Satan, this fallen angel, rebels against God. He's defeated and, he, and like a tree falling in the rainforest, he takes down with him a whole pile of other angels, stars, fallen angels, demonic beings whose fate is sealed like that of Satan, but in the meantime, they are capable of doing great damage in the lives of those who invite them into their lives. Evil spirits. People today say, oh, come on, Bob, it's a bit unscientific talking about evil spirits and demons and and, and stuff. Isn't that a bit weird? Isn't it weird to believe in Satan and evil spirits? Someone has said, the weirdness of Christianity is central to its success. Not because it's weird, but because it's true. There are demons and there is an evil, evil being called Satan. Then there's the baby. No prizes for guessing who the child is. He shall rule the nations with an iron scepter. Comes right out of Psalm 2 verse 9 where the psalmist is describing the son of God who will come to earth and rule this world. God's son, the king. And we are invited back in Psalm 2 to receive him as Lord. The earth has a problem evil. Ever notice that there's a bit of a problem with evil in our world? It is everywhere. It always has been. And the control of Satan over the minds and hearts of people. God has the answer, Jesus. You have a choice to accept or to reject. Psalm 2 urges, kiss the son. That's like an acknowledgement of him as your king. You know, kiss the king on the back of his hand or his ring. Well, to acknowledge him as king is saying. Jesus has come to earth to begin the repair job on this earth. And begin it, he has, and he will carry it on. Somebody has said, what sociological survey could have predicted the conversion of an ancient and sophisticated civilization thinking of that great majestic Greco-Roman world their conversion if you like the, the, the turning it upside down who could have predicted that a bunch of yobos coming out of this little country Israel would change the world but they did a bunch of relatively uneducated fishermen and labourers turned the world upside down because Christ was with them and they were doing Christ's work. Well, point four, the drama. The dragon stands menacingly over the child. Of course, to remind you again, this is the, a heavenly vision. To my knowledge, there was no dragon around when Jesus was born, just Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. So where is the dragon? Well, the next chapter of Revelation tells us that the dragon has two earthly agents anti-Christian political authorities and false religion. They are the two earthly agents of the devil. The dragon does appear, by the way, about a, probably about a year or so later in the form of King Herod. You read about him. He's about the nastiest person ever to walk this earth. He was a, killed his sons, killed his favourite wife. He killed anybody he thought was a possible threat to him. And 
When he hears from the wise men, the wise men probably, believe it or not, arrive in Jerusalem about a year or so after the birth. When he hears from the wise men that a, a new king has to be born in Israel, he says, oh, I'd love to go and worship him. Not. I'd love to go and kill him. And so when he finds out from the prophets where this baby's to be born, this king's to be born, Bethlehem, he sends out his soldiers to murder every male child in Bethlehem two years old and under. And he hopes that that way he'll catch Jesus in the, in the dragnet. This is the dragon trying to devour Jesus. But he fails. Having been warned in a dream, Joseph and Mary take the child down to Egypt out of Herod's reach. And ever since, Jesus and his church have been hunted and harassed by the devil's two agents, anti-Christian political powers and false religion. They are the two enemies that stalk the church today across the world, right here in Australia. Those are the same two agents, by the way, that conspired to have the most pure man on earth, the only pure man on earth, Jesus, to have him crucified. The Roman government and the false religionists of, of Israel combined to have him murdered. The same two agents at work today. The dragon thinks, by the way, if we read this through, he thinks that with the death of Jesus, he's won. But Jesus rises from the dead and he's snatched up to heaven in the ascension. Now, the work goes on through the disciples. We read that in the book of Acts. And the early followers of Jesus quickly find themselves doing battle with the dragon, both through the religious leaders and the Roman Empire, they're being killed by the religious leaders, killed by the Roman Empire, in prison, flogged, what have you. And so it, the church takes off, or it staggers off. Forty years or so on from the crucifixion of Jesus, by about AD 70, Israel, the country, is in absolute turmoil. There are, there are uh, militarists rising up saying, it's time to take up the sword and throw off the Roman Empire. At the same time, there are false messiahs saying, come follow me, we'll go to the roof of the temple where we'll be safe and God will snatch us up. False messiahs everywhere. And the emperor Vespasian says, enough. He sends his general Titus into Jerusalem to flatten the city and to destroy the temple. And he does. And Jewish blood flows like water. But as we read here, the Christian Jews flee. They were warned by Jesus back in Matthew 24 that this is coming and when you see it coming, get out and go into the desert. And they flee to the desert where they are kept safe, escaping the dragon. It speaks about for a period of three and a half years. Not exactly three and a half years, it's a, period, it's a brief period of time, a shortened period of time. Meanwhile, on the heavenly dimension, there is war between dragon, the dragon and his angels and between the angel Michael and his army. The dragon and his angels are hurled to earth where, he, where they try to drown, to destroy the young church. This rapidly growing church, they try to destroy it with a flood, a flood of lies. Lies. They said the Christians are incestuous. Even the Romans hated incestuousness. They said, they're all brothers and sisters. They're all kind of you know, mixed up families. It's, they, blokes marry their sisters and sisters marry their brothers. And it's just all... That was, that was the lie they perpetrated. And they, 
they're cannibals. They, they, they meet regularly and have some bloke's body and blood and they eat it. And so they're definitely cannibals. And moreover, they're, worse still, they're, they're actually uh, they're atheists. You go to their meetings, you can't see a god anywhere. There's not an idol to be seen. And they regard that as being atheism. That was the flood of lies that they were pouring out, trying to destroy the church. And, and of course, in many cases, the Roman authority says, great, we'll persecute them. And the Christian apologists wrote to the emperors to refute those lies and to assure them that they were no threat to the empire. But influenced by the dragon, the emperors were not listening. They sought to destroy the church. Emperor after emperor tried to stop the spread of Christianity by killing. But they failed miserably. It seemed the more they persecuted, the stronger the church grew. Tertullian of Lyon said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you kill us, the more we grow. Meanwhile, the church spreads over the Mediterranean region into the furthest corners of the Gentile world and the dragon, we're told here, goes off to wage war against the rest of the woman's offspring. That is, those who receive Christ as Lord and obey God's commands. That sounds like us. And that's what he's doing today. So we shouldn't be surprised when we today see political powers trying to curb the influence of the church. That's the dragon's work. We shouldn't be surprised when the true church and the credibility of Jesus are being undermined by those who say they are Christian, but whose evil behaviour and whose false teaching demonstrates that they are not. That is also the work of the dragon. Let me just give you two recent examples of the dragon's work. A couple of weeks ago we heard that in Victoria, local government, that is the councils, are being pressured to not allow churches to use their public halls for their meetings. Why? Because somehow the church is seeing bad and, and, and being seen as evil. Mustn't allow them to, must not hire our churches to those, those Christian mobs. Well, thankfully, so far, the local government has, uh, has refused and said, no, no, we're, we're sticking with by our guns. We're going to let them use their buildings. But you can bet the pressure will continue to come on them to do that. Just one example of one attack on the church. Of course, we all know the Andrew Thorburn story, former CEO of National Australia Bank. He goes through the, the, the process of, becoming, of being appointed CEO of the Essendon Football Club. And the day after he's appointed, he's sacked. What did Andrew Thorburn do? Nothing. But someone trawled through the, uh, the web page of his church and they found that 10 years ago some pastor dared to preach the biblical view of human sexuality. And for that they said, we can't have that. We're inclusive. And so they sack Andrew Thorburn one day into the job. But, but that's happening all around us. Believe me, it is. Well... I don't want to dampen Christmas because I think it's a wonderful time. It was a a Christmas a few decades ago that brought Wendy and I to faith in Christ. I love it. It's it's dazzling. But don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus' birth signalled the start of this great cosmic battle. God God will win because God is good and God is all-powerful and it's God's purpose. And when you follow Christ, you enter the life of God, which is the best life. I love what King David says. 
Better is one day, O Lord, in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. A thousand elsewhere, that's a big equation. But meanwhile, the battle will rage around us and we have to trust Christ in all things. And I hope we have a reasonably happy new year. God bless. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for the teaching your word gives us and the warnings it brings that we should expect opposition. It will come. But that you are Lord, Father, and you will conquer and you will stand upon this earth, Father, as the last authority, the good, pure and perfect authority. And so, Father, we thank you for everything your word provides us and we thank you that it leads us to the true life, Lord. Lord, life outside of you is just poverty, Father, spiritual poverty. Life with you, Father, is so rich. We thank you, Father, and pray that you would bless each one of us in this coming year, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.